Welcome to the Decades of Strength podcast. We are Kim, Marcy, and Katie. We are three women on one mission. We are obsessed with empowering women to gain confidence, build strength, and ditch feelings of unworthiness. So grab your chair, come sit at our table, and let's talk. Hello, and welcome to the Decades of Strength podcast. I'm Kim Schlag, and with me, I have Marcy Nevin and Katie Crocus. Hi, ladies. Hi, Hi Kim. Hey, Mars. What's hey. going on? Oh, well, not a whole lot over here. I see something different right now, and that is Marcy has her hair down. Mm-hmm. Marcy, you rarely have your hair down. Well, it's not going to be down for long. <laughs> it's not like <laughs> it's done up and, and down. It's been in a... My signature high bun, I'm just, yeah, like it, it needs a wash. So I'm just kind of fiddling with it, but you know, I don't like it in my face when I'm working. It drives me crazy. It's just too much. All right. All right. Speaking of hair, you guys, I'm taking my oldest daughter to get her hair completely chopped off. Her hair, Kim is probably, well, okay. It's not as long as ours, but it's like past her shoulders. And it has been that way her entire life. She's almost 13. And she wants to go for like the pixie cut, like the super short, buzzed sides, long, like kind of flowy top, sort of that like gets kind of, I don't know, floppy in her eyes. But like, she wants to just go for it. And my other daughter, she's almost 13. And my younger, my eight-year-old did that, did a cut similar to that, like in April. And it's just so interesting to me how I, as a young girl was so tied to my hair. And even today, like clearly I still am. I, I wear hair extensions and I, and I love the length and I love how I feel in it. And my girls are like, who needs it? It's just, it's such a pain. I want it short. I want it easy. My oldest plays football and she wants to be able to just like put like a, you know, like a, um, like a sweatband around her head and have mm. it be done. And I just, I gotta say, I admire it so much. Cause like hair is something that I felt has always been defining when it comes to, to beauty and my kids are like what the hell are you talking about yeah. and not that I talk about it but like it just doesn't occur to them well when so I was her daughter, age I got the same haircut um it was not a good experience for me ladies I was 13 I was a massive fan of the band Wham I was absolutely enamored by George Michael like head over heels in love with George Michael and I don't know why it occurred to me that it would be a great idea to take a picture of him because he's a man and <laughs> take it to my stylist and be like, I would like this haircut, please. And it sounds a lot like what you're talking about. Like it was short all over, except yeah. the top was long and it flopped towards and it looked great on George Michael. First of all, my head is like a little round basketball. It doesn't, it's not the shape for that. I was so excited. And then the second she did it, I was just devastated. And of course I decided to do this as a back to school haircut. Right. So like within 48 hours, I had to go back to school and even worse than the haircut itself was the growing out pictures. They're just absurd. Like trying to grow my hair out from that was uh, socially <laughs> traumatic for me. I never wanted to go anywhere. So I wish I could have been like your girls and been like, hair is just in my way. But I was much yeah. more like trying to make a big fashion statement that didn't work for me. <laughs> yeah. And I, I had a bad haircut experience. I was probably, I don't know, 26 maybe. And my hair has always been long or at least like a little bit below shoulder length. And I went in there, I'm like, I'm ready for a change. And I showed her this picture of Jennifer Aniston when she had that like Mm A-line. And uh, I thought that's what I was gonna get. And as I was sitting in the chair, I'm like watching her do it. I'm like, 
this is getting really short. This is a little bit shorter than I like. I'm like, maybe like the bottom's just going to be short and the, like the top is going to be longer. Oh, no, no, no. It was, I looked like a page boy at the end. And then oh, she kept bangs on me. So I had these like really short bangs. It was just, it was awful. Oh, so luckily I threw it out, but I will never do that again. Yeah. Hair I've trauma. Had, hair trauma is a thing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I hope your daughter ends up liking it. I think she will. She's pretty confident in her mission. I really try to encourage her to like, what if we just do like a chin length cut and then do the shortcut? And she's like, nope, I want what I want. And I'm like, all right. You, all right. You you. I'm proud of her for knowing what she wants. Yeah, yeah. that's great. That's well, fantastic. I'm sure I'll, I'll post a picture if I can get Instagram to start working on my phone again. If for whatever reason, it's not, I can't open it on my iPhone. And so I can't post any pictures um, from there. Oh. And so we'll see. We'll see if that Instagram gets Instagram is so glitchy these days, ladies. It's like one thing after another. Like I have to like post and pray that it will actually post. Mm -hmm. And then when I'm trying to create reels these days, it has stopped letting me use the editing feature very well. You know how you can like edit each clip to do jump cuts. It lets me do it, but it doesn't actually show where I'm stopping speaking. So I just have to guess. So Mm -hmm. I'm just like guessing and like watching it takes so much longer. I'm thinking like, what is wrong with this app? It's it's a frustrating place to be. Yeah. All right. So we've gotten some amazing questions well from Instagram. So look, even though it's frustrating, <laughs> still lots of good happening over there. A lot of good questions that we're going to tackle. We're actually going to break this up into at least two weeks. Who knows? Maybe it'll even be more. We might even be able to go three weeks with this. Um, so we're going to tackle some of your questions. So if you did submit a question and you don't hear an answer today, uh, we're not skipping you. We're going to get around to each of these ideas. So we're going to start with this one. This question is from Mary McCorm 89. And she says, I don't know if tracking macros for fat loss is good for me or if it makes my binging worse. So not so much of a, uh, an exact question there, but more of like a, what can we say to, to Mary there? Um, who would like to start? Which of you ladies would like to start? I'll start. Awesome. I think sometimes what happens, at least this is my experience from, you know, years of coaching people and the majority of my clients do track macros and are also in fat loss phases. And many of these women, because that's who I predominantly train have a very all or nothing black and white mentality. So what I find is if they cannot be perfect with their tracking, then they have that, Oh, I've already screwed up. Might as well just keep going mindset. Mm -hmm. So, so that's what I see most often is it's not so much about the tracking itself, because at least in my experience, when I started using flexible dieting, tracking, that kind of thing, um, for, you know, more body composition goals, I felt like it gave me a lot of food freedom and flexibility. And, you know, really gave me permission to finally start eating these foods that I put off limits for so long, thinking that they were going to make me fat or, you know, not allow me to make progress. And then when I started to incorporate these foods and I was like, I'm getting in the best shape of my life. This is amazing. You know, it really was liberating, but I do think that for many people, as I was saying, there is this mentality that I have to be exactly like on track every single day, or, you know, it it doesn't matter. And if that happens, maybe they're a little bit over or like, even if they go over or the other thing that I see commonly, and I know the, the person who submitted this question. So 
if something happens where they cannot stick to the plan that they had laid out for themselves. So maybe it's like, oh, someone else is going to cook dinner for me tonight, or we're going to go out to dinner last minute. Now that plan that they had has kind of been screwed up. And so they feel like, again, I failed. So might as well just do whatever I want to do because the day is shot anyways. Mm-hmm. So that, that's typically what I see. So I don't always feel like it's about the tracking. It's about the excuse me, the mentality around the tracking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a huge piece of it. Thanks, Marcy. Katie. I'm going to write on the coattails a little bit of that because about in terms of like the being inflexible, Marcy, and I think a lot of times people who track macros get into this trap of repeating the same meals day in and day out. So maybe you're relatively flexible with your macros, like plus or minus your 10 or your five or whatever, but you are entirely inflexible with foods for any variety of reasons. Maybe you don't know how to track something new, or you are just afraid that it's not going to be enough food and you're still going to be hungry. But if you don't include, like the whole idea of tracking macros is that everything is available to you, right? And so if you're not including a variety of foods, even if you're not necessarily feeling restricted, you are still restricting yourself to a degree. And so there's not, so if, if and when you come upon a time where there is something, um, it can become a trigger for you simply because you've been restricting it, not because you've been restricting calories, but because you've been restricting that food. So I think it's mm-hmm. important to keep in mind that it's not just about the, the calories, but it's also about um, being super inflexible with the variety of foods that you have in your day each and every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think drawing a direct line from tracking calories to binge eating is not the way to go here. First of all, um, all three of us are you know, in alignment here with the idea of what do you mean by binge eating? A lot of people who talk to us, work with us, use that very colloquially just to mean like, I ate more than I wanted to. I ate more than was useful for me, was on my plan. Um, and that is one thing. If we're talking about binge eating disorder, this has a very specific set of criteria, um, talking about as far as like frequency of the episodes, the feelings that come along with the episodes, the intensity of these episodes. And so if you think that you might actually have binge eating disorder, that is something you need to talk with a therapist, a medical professional about, not to one of us about. But setting that aside, let's say we're not talking about that, then we can look and see like when you overeat, when you eat more than you want to, should we just pin it on the tracking? It could be for you that tracking is a trigger for that, but it could be what Marcy said. It could be the all or nothing mindset. It could be what Katie said, that you're restricting certain foods, you're over restricting calories totally. Um, So I would be careful between drawing a line and kind of looking for like an easy answer of like, it is the tracking. What if you gave up tracking and you were still putting yourself in a, in a pretty extreme deficit? Because you can absolutely do that without tracking, right? You might still find that you are overeating. And so really getting to the root of like, why am I overeating? And not assuming it's the tracking, because plenty of people track and don't overeat, um, can really help you pick apart like, okay, what's actually going on here? What do I actually need to change? Maybe I need time out of a deficit. Maybe I've just been in a deficit for too long. So lots of possibilities there. Anything else to add about that one, ladies? No, I just kind of expand on what you were saying that I do believe in many cases, it's not so much about the tracking, it's about an emotional component that's going on. So Mm -hmm. yeah, you can use tracking all day long and still go over your macros or your targets if you are, you know, you're stressed out, you're overwhelmed and you are using food as 
a coping mechanism. So maybe you start the day tracking really well and you have it pre-logged, you know what you're going to eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner and your snacks. Then you get to the end of the day and, or even, you know, before the end of the day, something happens and you cannot self-regulate. You can't sit with those feelings and you turn to food as a way to cope. And now that, that planning has gone out the window um, and you end up over, but yeah, it's not the tracking itself. It's more the inability to, to, to regulate your emotions that are uncomfortable and that you are using food to numb or distract from. Yeah. Or the deficit. Like, let's be clear that a deficit will, if you're in a deficit, you're going to be most triggered to eat more. That's just mm-hmm. science. That's, mm-hmm. that is a fact that is part of being in a deficit. And I know we've all talked about that. We've all talked about like hacks and tricks. So I know we don't necessarily need to go into that, but I think our next question kind of allows us to dig yeah. a little bit deeper on well, this Well, let subject. me read that next question and we can kind of take all the things we've just said and kind of apply it towards this question and kind of tie it up here in a nice little bow. Uh, J.M. Randall 85 says tips to prevent binge eating while on strict training diets. And again, we're going to come at this from the angle that this is not actually binge eating disorder, but this is just somebody who is overeating more than they would like. Mm-hmm. Katie, um, you had something interesting to say about this when we were chatting about this before the call. Uh, okay. I, I don't exactly remember what I said, but in, in my mind, I kind of liken this question, um, to like trying to, to, trying to drive on a flat tire. Like you can get there, you can do it, you can work your way through it. But when you do, there's probably going to be a lot of collateral damage left in the wake. So if you are somebody who is on a strict training diet, um, I want you to maybe examine that and understand that there is a lot of collateral damage that goes with a strict training diet that if you are working for um, like to get competition or photo shoot lean, that what is required to do those things requires an amount of fortitude and commitment in your lifestyle that let's be honest, most of us do not have. The mass, this is not for the masses. Uh, and so if you are someone who you know is training and 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 working toward a competition, that's next level. I guess what who I'm speaking to are moms or women out there who are looking at people who train like that and live like that and trying to apply it to their own lives. And I'm here to tell you that that is probably not a great path for you. Uh, strict training diets really are not beneficial at all. And there are there's a lot of information out there, a lot of literature that suggests you will gain the weight back if you attempt a strict training plan and diet. So I would reassess what you're doing. What is your why? And can you, or if you're having, having these bingey episodes, it might just be time to fix that problem by getting yourself back online with calories, living in maintenance for a little while, and then resetting uh, a deficit at a little bit at, at a more attainable place. Um, so it's something that you can manage alongside all the other stresses of life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that Katie, because it's really true. If you are doing a strict training regimen, like with this diet, why are you doing that? If it's causing you to have binge eating episodes, is that helping with whatever this why is? If you just, if you just want to be super lean, some people just like this challenge of like, I want to get super lean once in my life. And there's nothing wrong with that if that's your goal. But if in trying to pursue that, you're having these overeating episodes and you're not going to get there anyway, and it sounds like you're having quite a bit of angst about it, is this the right goal for you? Maybe not. Maybe it's not. Um, Yeah. And I liked what you said, Katie, about the idea of like the regular everyday people. This isn't for us because I was one of those people when I, when I uh, entered the fitness industry, not as a coach, but just as a, as a person, when I first kind of became aware of it. 
I became aware of bodybuilding and somehow this was all the people I knew who lifted weights online or in magazines, they were bodybuilders. And so this is what I thought we, we, I'm putting this in, this is what I thought we were going to do. I'm like, oh, okay. So like if I lift weights, this is what I do. Like I eat brown rice and tilapia and broccoli. Mm-hmm. I eat very few calories and I train, I train twice a day. I do really long car. Like this is what I thought was the norm. And really I was following like Miss Olympia contestants Mm -hmm. training plans. And I thought that that was like what people who wanted to be fit did. And so if you're kind of stuck in that idea, like that can be real, that was a real challenge for me. Um, it wasn't until I kind of got to the point where I was like, this is actually not healthy anymore. I've really worked hard to get healthy and I'm heading to a dark place here that I realized like there are other options. And, um, for me, the thing that changed that was finding powerlifting. I'm like, Oh, here, which is funny. Cause that's just another really extreme thing. <laughs> um, you also don't have to be a power lifter to be healthy, but we can see so many of these things represented in social media, you know, people mm-hmm. lifting hundreds of pounds or thousands of pounds and people getting like incredibly lean where you can see every muscle in their body. And we forget that for most of us, neither of those things are going to get us what we want, which for most of us is to feel happy and peaceful in our bodies and enjoy doing what our bodies can do and enjoy our life and our family and our food. And being super lean is not an enjoyable place to be either. That's Mm -hmm. something else to remember that no matter how comfortable and confident you are with yourself, when you ask anyone who's ever been in that really low body fat percentage, that is a tough place to be. And then even harder because it's not sustainable is to get back out of it and to start living your life at, at a, at a heavier place, which is, which eventually becomes more comfortable, but mentally it's, it's tough up front. So really know what the landscape looks like. If you're somebody who is going to dive into a strict training protocol and diet. Yeah. Well, and I, I want to say one thing about this because I also know who submitted this question and have had a conversation with that person. So I understand like what they are doing and what the goal is. And it is just like the, I want to get in the best shape of my life, you know, one time, see what I can do it or see that I can do it, which is totally fine. But I don't think that everyone always understands like what is going to be required going into that process. And then they get into it. And it's kind of, I don't want to say like shiny object syndrome, but it's that like initial motivation and excitement. Anytime we pursue a goal that like seems very exciting and alluring. And until you get into the thick of it, you don't really realize like what it's going to take and that it is very challenging. And maybe that the juice is not always worth the squeeze, but for this individual, you know, they are on a very strict meal plan. So it's certain foods, cannot venture outside of those. And that can be where binge eat, I'm just going to call it overeating and binge eating too. If you actually do have binge eating disorder, which Mm -hmm. if you do, please talk to a professional, like we said, Um, but it can come from restriction. So whether that's caloric restriction or just overall food restriction. So then if you are combining the two of those caloric restriction, which is going to be required to get, you know, stage lean. And then also on a very rigid meal plan, like these are the only foods you can eat. That's like a double whammy and your brain can only take that for so long. It's that like rubber band effect, you know, you pull back too hard. And then if you give yourself just a little bit of wiggle room, you know, you have a weak moment, Oh, maybe I'm going to, you know, order some pizza then it's like you shoot forward in the opposite direction, like even further. Um, So I think that that double restriction 
is going to be really challenging for some people, which is why the flexible dieting, giving yourself permission to include all foods, you know, within moderation can be really helpful just from an overall mindset perspective and allowing what you were doing to be a bit more sustainable. Cause Kim, to your point, I was the same way. And it, it wasn't for lack of, you know, me not, well, no, it was for lack of me not knowing any better. Um, that's what it was was that I was following these plans in the fitness magazines because I wanted to look like the woman on the cover, mm-hmm. not realizing this is a competition meal prep, like egg beaters and oatmeal for breakfast. And then like, after that, everything was just protein and vegetables. Yeah. Um, and I was like, Oh, this is great. You know, it's going to get me to, to look like them. And no, it didn't. It just got me to, uh, have a very disordered relationship with food. Yeah. yeah. And really ladies at listening to this people who are doing that, like, that's like saying, like, I would like to play baseball. And all of a sudden, like you're following the training plan of like a major league baseball player. Like it's not the same Mm -hmm. thing. You don't need to go from like, I'm not working out in training till I am following a plan from a professional bodybuilder. Like it's a really big jump. Mm -hmm. And, um, there's just so many other places you could go. Right. Yes. So important. All right. Next question. This one comes from Tina. Tina is a former client of mine and Tina says body dysmorphia, 95 pounds down and it's hitting hard. I have to tell you, it was really interesting when I saw this one come through. Um, Like I said, Tina is a former client of mine. We worked together for a good long time. She's been on her own doing this. Um, She um, does competitive powerlifting as well. So she's super strong. She's lost 95 pounds and I follow her. And every time I see her, it's literally like, like I'm stunned. Like my jaw drops because every time I see her, I'm like, you just look better and better and fitter and fitter every time. And so when I was like, whoa, this is definitely one of those eye-opening. If she is struggling with the fact that her body has changed as much as it has, who's not, right? Mm-hmm. Cause like it's such a massive transformation. And I really do think this is a hard thing. I'm guessing you ladies have had clients, people that you've worked with who've had this. And I definitely have, but it's usually more people like they've lost 20 pounds or 25 pounds. And they're like, I still see that same me in the mirror. This is a real thing. What, what do you say in those instances, ladies? How do you help? Well, I, I can, I can relate because I didn't realize myself personally, how lean I was until I look back at pictures years later. So I was in it, but I didn't have like, I'm like, Tina, I didn't have the awareness to even know what was happening. Uh, so from, from this perspective, from again, like speaking from like the, the scar, not the wound uh, for me, the best thing to do is to continue uh, to find people who can support you in doing the internal work, because Mm -hmm. so many of us go into a fat loss phase without considering where we are mentally and think that everything is going to be fine. We're going to get there and we're going to be happy and life's problems will be solved. And that's just never going to be the case ever, forever and ever. Amen. You are not the exception here. Uh, and I think one of the things you can do is if you don't feel like doing all this work up front, or you're not like feeling like a, like a whole person when you go into the dieting phase, which like really who among us is, uh, is to alongside, make sure that you are carving out time to really put in the energy to, um, understanding your values and understanding that you are a worthy person with or without this goal with or without these things ever coming to fruition. Um, somebody I love to follow uh, is Byron Katie. She has um, her idea of the work is something that I recommend everybody look into. 
I don't really, I won't be able to do it justice. So I don't necessarily want to speak to it, but you can find her on Instagram. You can find her on Google. She has lots of books. Did you say the name again? Did you say Byron Katie? Yes. B-Y-R-O-N Katie, K-A-T-I-E. And she's been, she's been in the space a long time. And for her is, she talks a lot about um, how, how to achieve self-acceptance and not just self-acceptance, but acceptance of the world around you as it is in its present moment. And I think that's something to, that's so important to do as we go on these, these life-altering journeys and, and changing our appearance really does change a lot. Uh, but we can't always, you know, keep up with it if we're not focusing on what's going on inside as well. So I, that's one of the reasons I got out of coaching, frankly, is because I could coach people on how to, how to lose weight. Like the, the um, specifics were simple, but what was complicated was the mental piece that really had to come along with it. Cause there was a lot that most people have to unpack if they're in search of weight loss. Yeah. That mental piece and that emotional piece, like we can so easily still feel like the same person we were when we started when usually not everybody, I mean, there's many ways to lose weight. Um, but most people who've lost a significant amount of weight like that have changed a lot of things about their lives, a lot of things about, um, their relationship with food and just how they, they show up in the world. Um, and not recognize that can really feel really uncomfortable, like still feeling like we're that same person. And so really spending time, like thinking about like, okay, what are all the things I've changed besides how I look, what else has changed for me and recognizing all of you know the positives you've done can be really a useful exercise and something that has to be done over and over. It's not like you do this one time and you're like, oh yes, well, like now I don't emotionally eat 90% of the time. And now I do eat, you know, X, Y, and Z things that are good for me all the time. And I, whatever the good positive behaviors you you've incorporated are just recognizing them once isn't useful. Uh, well, it's useful. It's not, not useful, but it's not going to stick. It's one of those things you have to constantly come back and keep doing that internal work. Um, and like you said, Katie, like looking, um, doing part of this internal work is seeing like, what, why did I do this in the first place? What is it I was looking for? Do I need external validation? Like who doesn't like external validation, right? Like if I have a good hair day and everybody sees me and says nothing, and then that doesn't feel great. And I'm like, Hey, somebody tell me my hair looks good. Right? Like, who doesn't like that? So I don't think it's weird that you've lost 95 pounds and you're waiting for somebody to like, be like, Hey, you look great. Um, but there does come a point, And I do remember this when I stopped getting the compliments, because people just got used to what I looked like then. Right. Like people weren't like when I went from, you know, somebody who was struggling with obesity to somebody who was thin, gosh, compliments were coming like constantly, but eventually, you know, a year into it, people were used to what I look like and it wasn't on their mind anymore yet. It was still seriously on my mind. Right. And so really coming to terms with, with all of that, like it's one of those things where we're thinking about ourselves way more than other people are. Mm, absolutely. That's so true. Mm -hmm. What do you have to add, Mars? I don't have a whole lot to add to this one. I think you guys really nailed it. I think the only other thing would be, and I, I talk about this a lot, how everything really just come, comes back to your brain and your brain wanting to keep you safe and you know, in your comfort zone. So if you are someone who for many years was used to seeing this person in the mirror who was very overweight, then those 
neural pathways are going to be very hardwired. And just like habits, uh, you know, it takes a long time for you to kind of undo those pathways, build new habits and new belief systems about yourself. If all you've known for years and years is someone with the identity of being overweight, of overeating, you know, whatever that identity is that you tie yourself to. So, and I hate to say it, it's so cliche, but it really just does take time and, and practice and patience. So mm-hmm. realize that, you know, this is not just going to happen overnight. You're not going to look in the mirror one day and be like, oh, like, this is amazing. I no longer see that, you know, person who is 95 pounds heavier if for so long, that is the reflection that you saw. And that was the identity that you had created for yourself. So I love Katie's suggestion of, you know, doing like literally the work, um, Byron Katie is amazing. Um, and she has like, I think what she's most known for is this thing where you like question that belief and you like, you keep questioning. It's like, is that true? Is that true? Is that true? Like you, you go down, um, you know, that question list until you really do get to the root um, of the issue or like the actual truth, which is mm-hmm. never what you think it is on the surface. Um, and then, you know, kind of like woo woo, but doing some like positive affirmations, like mirror work, you know, looking in the mirror, speaking kindly to yourself um, as you would, maybe it's like the, the little girl in you um, who, um, you know, like before all of this occurred and yeah, to speak to yourself with like a lot of kindness and compassion and start retraining your brain to believe that you are now this, this different person. Yeah. I like that a lot. All of that. Um, even though we can feel that weight loss is going so slowly that physical transformation usually goes so much faster than that internal transformation of like our identity, like who we identify as. And so we can get to this point where physically we look very different, but inside we still feel like we're that same person. And so I think all of that advice you ladies gave. It can can also be like really, really threatening. And this is where a lot of people self-sabotage is because they say that they want a specific outcome. So in most cases, weight loss, body transformation, but what they don't realize, like until they start going through the process and seeing themselves start to change is that that can be very threatening. And a lot of times like we keep weight on for safety purposes that we don't even fully understand or that we're, it's like subconscious. Mm. Um, and I'm not, I could go down a rabbit hole that I won't go into. Um, but it can be like, if I lose this weight, then what's going to happen on the other side of that? Am I, are people going to judge me? Am I going to lose relationships? You know, am I going to have to keep this up forever, whatever the case may be. And now that can be really scary for people. So they, whenever they see that glimpse of success they're like, Oh no, 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 like too scary. And they pull themselves back to Mm. where they are. So anyway. Yeah. And I think in a lot of those cases, that's a great time to work with a therapist. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's definitely like above like working with a nutrition coach kind of level. Um, mm-hmm. And that, that's a real thing. Yeah. Um, one more thing that Tina brought up as we were kind of chit-chatting in DMs about this um, question she asked, she shared a post that somebody made that really made the rounds last week. Um, basically a post saying, basically, okay, wow, you've lost weight is not always the best thing to say because people lose weight for all kinds of reasons, not 
all of them good. And so this post was basically saying, um, stop doing that, like stop commenting on other people's weight, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. But here's Tina's point, which I also get. She says, this post made the rounds last week, lots of shares and stories. And I get it. People mean well, but it's disheartening when people don't say something to me. Mm. Uh, you know, it's on my mind. And I, she says, I struggle with people who've never been obese telling the rest of the world how to treat people who are or were. What are your thoughts on that, ladies? It, immediately and not knowing her, Kim. So I, I, I hope that I'm sure she's listening and I don't want her to um, feel attacked by this, but it, I'm getting the feeling that she is tying her worthiness to her appearance mm -hmm. or that somehow the weight loss makes her a better person or more lovable or something. That's, and I don't know, I have no idea if that's the case or not, but that's what I hear when it sounds like people need external validation um, to somehow feel better about themselves. And, and I, and I want to just, if that's the case for anyone listening, I want to give you a huge hug because I understand I've been there. I've been that person. I'm, I'm working through that as well myself um, to understand that, you know, the way I look and how I present myself is irrelevant when it comes to what I am worthy of um, in this lifetime. And so I want to just extend that, that wish to everybody out there who, who may be feeling the same. Hmm. Thanks, Katie. Thoughts, Marcy? Oh gosh, this is, this is deep. I feel what you were saying, Katie, because for so long, I was the same way, um, really getting all of my validation through what my body looked like. And, and that's, I think what we have to come to understand is that it can change and fluctuate. And, you know, there was a time when I, I was very lean and I was getting the comments. And then there was a time when I was not, and you, you almost feel like invisible in a sense. Mm. Um, and I've shared this story too, because like one of my like core wounds, and I think the reason I got into fitness in the first place is I, I literally felt invisible compared to other people in my life, whether it was family members or friends of mine who, um, you know, had better bodies who were prettier. So I think as a way to remedy that, I was like, well, I'm going to get in really good shape. I'm going to work on my appearance. And then I will be loved, seen, accepted, safe, all of the things. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's really not the case. Um, it's kind of this false belief, or maybe you get that external validation for a period of time, but eventually it just like, it, it kind of like loses its luster in a sense. And it may not always be good enough, or you may have that expectation that someone is going to say something and acknowledge you. And if they don't, that can be really disheartening. And um, I think for a long time, my identity was wrapped in and being like the fit one, like once I had gotten to that point and then, and I, I've shared the story before, but when I was dating my last boyfriend, I mean, this guy was like 260 pounds of like pure muscle and we would go out in public and people would come up to him and be like, can I touch your arm? And like, they would make comments about his appearance and I, they would like not even look at me. You know, and I was like, hey, like I'm over here, like fit too. Like, what about me? And it was devastating. Mm -hmm. So I had to do a lot of internal work to like overcome that and get to the point where now other people's validation, like it's kind of the icing on the cake, but you really like, you will never be fully happy unless you cannot validate yourself first. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's kind of like an unending need if you keep kind of going after this, the, the external validation. And I've certainly been there. And I don't think it's unusual. I think a lot of us, when we make this big physical transformations, 
want that external validation. And um, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's a really human thing, but yet doing the work to kind of push past that need for that. And I also think that there is appropriate ways. I mean, if you have a good relationship, it really depends on someone's relationship with someone, whether you can say something about their body. Like if you know somebody has been really working hard at weight loss, I personally don't think there's anything wrong with saying you look amazing. Like you've clearly been working Mm -hmm. hard. I think saying that to a stranger can be dicey. Um, and I would not, would not suggest it, but if you have a a relationship with somebody where, you know, really well, like, Hey, they have been actively working on purposeful weight loss, um, withholding that just because like these days we shouldn't talk about that kind of thing. I don't think is necessary. Mm, Agreed. Yeah. 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 Because you don't know someone could, um, someone could be sick, you know, experiencing an illness and that's the reason that they've lost weight or, you know, maybe there is some sort of disordered eating going on. So they've lost weight in an unhealthy way. Right. And if you compliment them, like, and I have worked with people with like actual clinical eating disorders. Um, and, and I, like I've written papers about this in college. So I kind of know that mentality, but you know, a, a true disorder eating disorder is very much rooted in control. So if you compliment somebody like that on their weight loss, then they've just like, it, it that sense of control, like becomes even greater, like, Oh, this is, this is wonderful. So like, they want to cling to it even more tightly. So that can be very dicey. Um, but again, like if someone is going through an illness and you're like, Oh, wow, you've lost weight. You look great. It's like, well, I don't want to be here. Like, this Mm -hmm. is not what I was intending for, but yeah, I agree. Kim, if you know that someone has that specific goal, they've been working hard, you know, they vocalize that to you, then by all means, acknowledge them for their efforts. Yeah. All right, ladies, I think we're going to cut it there. We have so many more good questions and we'll come back next week and maybe even the next two weeks to uh, talk more about these questions. Thanks so much for listening. And ladies, thanks so much for being here. Absolutely. Thanks. Talk to you next week. Bye, Bye. everyone. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Decades of Strength podcast. If you liked this, if it was helpful for you, it would mean the world to us if you left a rating and review wherever you're listening. It really does help our work get in front of more people. Thanks so much for being here with you and we'll see you again next week.